Congratulations. Anyway, Brian and Bonnie are, are kind of new friends to me and new friends to our church. Dynamic, authoritative young couple with a message for this time in, on this planet, especially in North American culture. So I'm not going to say too much more except they, they are dear people who love Jesus, love the Lord. They're faithful. Parents of five boys between the ages of five and ten. Oh, and, well, yeah, the dog helps, I'm sure. <laughs> the dog's always the one that's happiest to see you. <laughs> yeah, and just because the dog's happy doesn't mean you're doing well. <laughs> just means you know how to feed them. Anyway, just, just kidding, Brian. Uh, yeah, so anyways, Bonnie and Brian, I don't know if you're both coming first or just Bonnie, but we, let's welcome them to our church. Thank you. And thanks for, for mentioning the book. It's, it's hard for me to, like, show my own book. So I'm like, oh, thanks for doing that. That would have been hard for me to to bring it up. But I do, I am going to share a little bit about why I wrote it, but more than that, the bigger picture of the role of parents in um, in their children's lives. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. The second time, some of you I've met, uh, we met back in November. We were here and we had just started the, um, we had just officially launched the union, which is what um, the ministry is called that Brian and I, um, as well as a team around us, um, have started with the goal of bringing truth around God's design for sexuality, bringing hope of restoration, and bringing, just like we want to empower people in their personal destiny, no matter what their story was. And so um, we're working on developing resources online and also coming and being with people face-to-face. Truthfully, that's the more enjoyable part for me. Sitting in front of a computer screen can be draining, but sitting with people is a lot more fun. So thanks for having us, getting me out from behind the screen. Um, and then also we we're, we're going to be, you know, putting on events, hosting, with, partnering with other churches, kind of saying, like, what does your community need Let's host an event for that demographic, and let's try to um, just bring truth around these things. Uh, and then also empowering more voices to be talking about these things, because there has been a vacuum of silence. And it's funny, you know, if, if someone were to preach a sermon about sexuality maybe once a year, right? But some churches, you don't at all. You just don't talk about it once a year. But then you go into, you turn on the TV, or you scroll online, and you're being preached at all the time about what a message. It's like, a this is normal. This is right. This is the way it should be. And so then I think, well, church, like we have God's, we have God's heart and we have his instructions, his loving boundaries. Like we should be communicating. We need to be translating um, and not just going around saying like, thou shalt not do these things, but like, why, why, why does it matter? Right? So so that's why we are here. That's why we exist. Um, I wanted to say, the girl who is singing, where are you? She was had a red flannel shirt. Is she still in the right over here? Heather, I didn't meet you before. But when, I, when you were worshiping, I just, um, you caught my attention, and I felt like God just showed me something about you. I saw, um, uh, like, question marks around your head. But then I saw that they turned into hearts, and then into music notes. And I felt like God was showing me that there's been things in your life you've gone through that have caused question marks, possibly pain. I saw also almost like a violin. You know how like sad parts of a movie is like, whatever, violin. But then it was like you have taken those difficult things and turned it into worship. And it was like turned into romance to, to the Lord, like your heart for him. And so I just want to just bless you and honor you because you've made hard choices when no one was looking. And I think that the Lord is going to deposit or like, you know, it says how the things that are done in the secret, God's going to show it, you know, and I think that there's calling in you and maybe even question marks of like, am I actually called to that? Could I actually do that? But I just feel like God was just like, tell her, yeah, like I see her and that she, she has something to offer and she needs to be brave in doing it. So yeah, bless you. Okay, good. Awesome. So maybe songs. I mean, if, if the question marks turn to heart, hearts that turn to music notes, I wonder if there's songs that either you... Do you write songs? You don't? Do you ever want to? Is that like a prayer you've had? You have a... What would you say? Okay, that's okay. You never know. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. So... um 
So I want to talk today about the power of the blessing of parents. And this is really cool. Something, oh gosh. So we have five boys. It's not easy. Um, but it, and it's, it's shaped me so much though. So we found out we were pregnant with twins. We'd been married for only about three months, found out we're pregnant. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I'm growing faster than most pregnant women. Five months or about 20 weeks, you do the ultrasound and it's like, you know, there's two babies in there. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. I'm thinking, how am I going to handle this? But we're excited. Double blessing. Woo. Um, but the boys were maybe about four or five months. Oh, I need to introduce Charlie here. This is our Charlie boy. This is Charlie. He is six years old, and he just lost a, his second tooth last night. So that was really good. All right, you can go sit down, Dad. Um, just thought you should know. Okay, so he, so the boys were about five months old, and I was just hitting a wall. You know, like that. You can be like sleep deprived for a certain amount of time, and then you're like, okay, that's enough. I think this is how they torture people in some places, right? And so I was feeding a bottle to one, our one son Samuel, and the and Micah was napping. And, but that's what it was, right? Like feed, sleep, try to keep up. And I was on my knees beside the couch, and I, had, I was feeding him the bottle, and I was crying out to the Lord, which sounds like spiritual, but it sound, it's more like desperation. I can't do this. Anyways, I'm crying. <laughs> my baby. Um, and I felt the Lord say, uh, I never told you thou shalt have a clean kitchen. <sighs> Sounds like a little bit of the weight comes off, right? Kind of like, okay, like a... Uh, that's not the priority right now. But I still am saying, I don't think I can do this. Any other parents ever felt that way? <laughs> Please tell me it's not just me. I don't think I can do this. And, uh, and then I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, can you look your son in the face and tell him he's valuable? <sighs> yeah, I can do that. And so that's what I would just try to do when I felt like I, I can't do anything else. <laughs> I just try to say, you, you matter. But here's what's crazy is that sometimes we forget that the Father in heaven, that that's what he's doing to us. And he is the Father that we copy, right? So when we think, I don't know how to parent, just think, well, how does God talk to me? And unfortunately, some of us are afraid to go even talk to him because of what we think he might say. But he looks, he wants to look you in the face. I love this morning, that, that final song, right? Like, I am, like, I am chosen. I'm not forsaken. In my father's house, there's a place for me. He looks us in the face and says, you are valuable. And now there's other parts of parenting, obviously. We're not just going around just incur, you know, like, we can't only just be like, you're, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful. It's like, also, like, that's not okay, and that needs to change, and, you know, we're correcting and we're disciplining like a good father. We read in Hebrews. But the power of a blessing, that that blessing has to be there. And unfortunately, is even in there's been silence around the area of sexuality, there's also been a silence of a, of a blessing passed from a generation, first generation, uh, older generation to a younger generation. I know Bri's going to talk to you a little bit more about that. In a few minutes here, um, I would read, you know, in the letters to the churches, Paul would just say, like, encourage one another, encourage one another, encourage one another. And I would think sometimes, well, if we encourage people too much, then are they just going to think that they're good the way they are? <laughs> and then, you know, I was kind of, I think I remember being like 20, 21, just thinking, man, my pastors, Mitch and Bonnie, they're so encouraging all the time. Like, won't that make people feel like enabled to just stay the way they are? And then I started to realize, like, no, actually, it calls people to what they are actually supposed to be. And so I loved that. As, so as a mother, I would often, like, write from when I was pregnant and then at diff even difficult seasons um, in their young lives. And I would say, God, like, tell me, what do you see in them? Show me, like, speak, a, like, a word for me to speak over them and to be believing for them and to be blessing them. And so um, one of our boys, God said, he's a growing delight he is a growing delight to you. And there were times he did not feel like a growing delight. But I would say, you are a growing delight. You are increasing. Like, we delight in you. Another one, um, the Lord said, he is a, uh, sorry, the same one he said, he's also a man of mercy. You need to show him mercy. Another one he said, um, well, this little boy, actually, when I was pregnant with him, the Lord said, he is a storm. <laughs> and a storm is nature's housekeeping. 
that gets the wilderness ready for snow. And I felt like the Lord said, this boy is going to, yeah, he likes snow. So, so in times when his emotions are like a storm, I go, okay, I see. All right. Well, Lord, (laughs) help us weather this one. Anyway, so we speak, so we get words from the Lord. First of all, for us though, as children, right? Think about the first year or two years of your life. The ideal, the situation is that you are not a contributor in any way. You are dead weight in your parents' arms. And you, everything is done for you. And you are blessed for who you are. And there's awe and wonder over you. Oh, you just like, you, you just feel this urge to count toes, count fingers. Look at your little eyelashes. You're just like delighted in. And I think that was God's design. Obviously, that can't be forever, right? We can't just live our life. Look at your eyelashes. You know, you, you become a contributor. You start to do chores. You start to make a difference in those ways. But the foundation of who we are is the Lord saying, I see you, and I delight in who you are, and oh, I'm so glad you're here. And so this book that I've written, The Weight of Wings, is it's kind of about that. So I was a 19-year, I was, hmm, I could go a little bit further back. So when I was younger, I had this feeling, maybe other women in the room maybe would relate with this, a sense that, that being a girl was a little bit less important than being a boy. That somehow I thought boys had more advantages, that boys looked like a little bit more fun. I'm seeing a couple women nod. Yep. I mean, I was saying to Brian last night, I'm sure it could go the other way. I'm sure boys, men, probably go feeling in myself that that being a girl probably was less than being a boy. And I, I wouldn't say despise my femininity, but I resisted it to an extent. Um, so when I was 19, I was in a time of worship. Um, I was a part of a discipleship school out in Chilliwack, and... and uh, I felt the Lord say, I made you a girl on purpose. And it, it actually, like, shifted things for me so much. And, and I had been resisting. There was guys in our group who would, like, try to open doors for us and try to carry things for us. And I thought, I was like, ah, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to need someone. I don't want to be dependent. So I would, like, rush ahead so they couldn't open the door for me. Like, what? <laughs> Any other women, though? Like, sometimes you go, like, I don't know if... What if one day you're not there to open the door? Or what if I stand at the door waiting like you're going to open it and then I look like an idiot because I was relying on you and I should have done it myself or whatever. But the Lord said to me, there are things, Bonnie, I made you a girl on purpose. There are doors I want to open for you and there are things I want to carry for you. Kind of like let your heart receive. So that was so so impacting to me. It shifted, kind of took out that edge in me. I'm, I would say, like, I'm a first-wave feminist and that I believe women are equal and they are not property and they can own property and that they, they can vote and they should get educated and all that kind of stuff. But it took off that bitter, sour edge off of me of where I was resisting my own femininity, femininity but then causing me to be competitive at the same time and competitive with guys and stuff like that. Anyways, so then a couple years later, I was reading a book by Elizabeth Elliot. Um, called Let Me Be a Woman, and it was a collect. Has it, anyone read it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my friend Tiffany, yeah. <laughs> Do you have it right now? I think I lent it to you. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I was going to call you and ask, but that's a good time to just ask right now. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, tip. No. <laughs> Tiffany's our dear friend. Um, she's a part of our, the union as well. <laughs> my friend. Um, and she read the, And so there's a chapter in there called The Weight of Wings. So the book's Let Me Be a Woman. It's a collection of letters to her daughter, kind of on, she gave it to her as she was preparing to get married herself, the daughter. Um, and she talked about every creature in all of the world could complain of its design. If you think about it, we could all find some, every creature could find something wrong with its design. The giraffe could complain of its neck being too long or the elephant of how hefty it is or whatever. And she said the statement, and even the bird could complain of the weight of its wings. But if he would embrace his design, he would find that it's the very weight is the thing that would lift him up into freedom. Man, that helped me. So I was about 21 years old. Lift up into freedom. Embrace the design. Find freedom. And it proved to be true. And uh, so then I'm, I'm, I become a mom and I start imagining what if, what if in every living room and every couch, moms and dads would say to their children, God made you a boy on purpose. God made you a girl on purpose and we're so glad he did. Well, God made you a boy on purpose. We're so glad he did. 
what if we could just answer the question before the kids ask it? What if we could bless the design? So I started this long process of writing, and I was, I mean, I'm a mom, and Brian, I'd, you know, maybe once a month I would get out for an hour or two and write or organize and stuff like that. It took me a long time to get this book off the ground. So it is a real, it's like, oh, it's here. Here it is. Um, but that's what I, why I wrote it is because I think that the power of a parent's blessing is so, str- is so important. It is not, I wanted to say this though, it's not a formula, right? Being the words we're saying, it's not like if I would just say these certain words, then I'll get the results I want. It's not like that, but it is a commitment. It's a commitment to watching our children and finding out what they need and blessing them and encouraging them and inviting the Holy Spirit to to give us words of wisdom and words of knowledge of how to speak to them. So the Lord showed me in Esther, um, so there, for those of you who maybe don't know the story, in the book of Esther, talks about how there's like this strategy and scheme that comes out from the guy named Haman who wants to destroy all the Jews. And so he's put, they make this law come about that would say, all the Jews will be destroyed. On this certain day, they're all going to be killed. And they go to, and, and then Mordecai, keep going, Mordecai's Esther's uncle. Mordecai goes to the king, and he's kind of serving as a counselor. Now the king is realizing, like, ah, I shouldn't have passed that law, but now I can't undo it, so what do I do? And Mordecai's like, well, what if we help the people defend themselves? And I think that in our time, there are likely going to be laws passed that we can't overturn. But what if we defend ourselves from the inside out? What if we speak blessing that undoes, 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 undoes every curse? Proverbs 6, verse 26, it talks about the need in our generation that, that, that we are a hungry people. And that's why, again, this morning we're talking about the thirsty. There's a thirst and a hunger within us for blessing, for a place, for affirmation, for connection. And if we as parents can speak those words of blessing, connection, you belong, words, something we say often is there's nothing you can do to make me stop loving you, right? That's like they don't. They don't have to perform in order for us to bless them or to want them or to love them or to welcome them in. So we, f- we feed our children not just physical food, but also the food of that will fill their souls. And now even as I say this, um, I can imagine that it would bring up um, a sense of pain of potentially places where you recognize you as a child were starving or even as a now, like you're like, I feel a void. And I want to just say to you that there is a healing process that God can bring to you. And, and that's real. So first of all, that's real. And I want to validate that. And then also that there is a process of healing where the, that's why the Lord wants you to come into his presence and to hear the words he would say to you. And also why he wants to put you into a family of believers where maybe your biological family didn't provide something for you is that the, the family of believers can start to speak those words of life to you. And so um, knock on your leader's doors and be real with them and tell them what you need and try to find a place of connect here who would pray for you. I know that that's real. So does that sound good? You receive that? All right, I'm going to introduce my dear husband, Brian. He's going to come and he's going to, yeah, just kind of continue talking about this idea of the generations working together. Isn't that a good word? It's a good word. Thanks, Faye. Um, well, it's it's honestly a pleasure to be back here, to be with you all again. And um, we're just going to kind of pick on the worship team a little bit. Is that all right? Can we do that? So, now, what's your name? Jasper? You feel like I should know that if I'm, if I'm prophetic. I should know your name, right? Um it's funny that as I saw you worshiping, it's like I saw in the spirit, I saw you, there was this deep heart cry coming out of you that was coming out of your mouth like a shockwave, and it was, it was causing walls to be broken down. And I feel, like, uh, I feel like there's a deep cry within your spirit that the Lord's wanting to cultivate to be a sound that's released 
uh, into your generation and into the lives of people to tear down walls in their life. I feel like there's maybe as you, I don't, I'm just going to go out on a limb. If you, if you spend time in, in, in his presence and writing songs and these things, these things are going to be tools. These are going to be that shockwave that when it's released, it causes walls to come down. So I know, I feel like there's like, I don't know, maybe in the natural, like your personality is maybe a little bit more reserved and maybe a little bit, I'm just, I'll just, you know, I don't know if I'm, am I right? Am I going ahead in the right direction? Okay. But I felt like there's such a lion in your, like in your spirit. There's just like a lion call cry that want that, that is so longing to come out. Like I, I saw the vein in your neck, dude. I saw you up there. I saw the vein in your neck. I feel like there's just such a great passion and the sound that the Lord wants to release out of you to tear down walls. Okay, can you receive that? Thanks, man. Jasper. Man. All right. You didn't, even, you didn't even pay for those ones. Those are free. You love free stuff? Well, I want to talk to you today about uh, reconciling a generation. Reconciling a generation. Um, and we're going to jump right into uh, Malachi chapter 4. If you have your Bibles with you here this morning, Malachi chapter 4. And um, if you don't have your Bible, or maybe you're sitting beside somebody who doesn't have their Bible, it's only because they have it memorized, so you should feel uh, very privileged to be sitting next to somebody. Um, But you know, before we do that, I just want to give honor where honor is due. Uh, This is my mom over here, Terry. She uh, brought me into the world. So we can put our hands together for that. Yeah, she's our Nana, that's right. And we've got some close friends here, Robert and Danielle Palmer. They're also part of our team, uh, part of the union. And uh, we're so glad they're here with us today. So thank you for, for having us again. All right, are we there in Malachi chapter 4? Are we there? I don't know if you remember, but if you get quiet on me, we'll preach a solid two hours. Okay, so if you want to keep this in like 25 minutes or less... Just be as active as you can. Shout amen, even if I don't say anything good, okay? Can we, just, can we just do that? Oh, I feel it already. All right, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children I know we don't get through this part. <laughs> uh, in the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. It's a nice encouraging verse this morning, isn't it? You know, as we look at our generation a lot, if we look at our society, a lot of what we are facing today in the confusion, in the darkness, in the muddiness of morality, of um, of so many things is actually, I believe, in a lot of ways due to a disconnect in the generations. A disconnect in the family structure, a disconnect from their fathers and mothers to their children. And I do believe that the church has a prophetic mandate, a prophetic responsibility, a prophetic duty and mission. And it kind of comes down to three things. Some of the things I wrote down here, and we continue on on the slides there, it says, number one, we have to be preaching the gospel, right? The church has this prophetic mandate to be preaching the gospel, to be a mouthpiece for God, to to declare the good news, right? That's where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to do what? Power of God to bring salvation, right? We're not ashamed of the gospel. We declare the good news all the time. The other point here is that we do works of justice. We're conf- we are confronting the unjust systems that hold people captive. We are a voice for the voiceless. Just like Isaiah, Isaiah 61 says that the Spirit of, of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, the brokenhearted and to do what? To proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. So when there is injustice in the world, the church has a responsibility to stand and be present and confront that injustice and bring the reality of the gospel that transforms nations, transforms communities, and transforms families and individuals. That's that's part of it. But then there's this third part here that I want to talk about, I want to focus on today. That we're called to reconcile a generation. We're called to bring generational vision and unity and this is the atmosphere of the church 
This is the atmosphere in which God is wanting the church to be, where there is a unity within generations. We're not compartmentalized where we have, okay, this is our seniors group over here, and this is our youth group over here, and everything is in a box, and none of the boxes touch. Do you have any other box thinkers? We can just deal with one thing at a time. We're going to take one box out at a time. Anybody else like that? Just having a moment of truth here, all right? Just going to have time of honesty. It's, but the, the atmosphere of the church is supposed to be that of a family. Where you have spiritual moms that are just free to be and belong. And that's actually, when that atmosphere is healthy and that atmosphere is established, that is where you and I grow the best. When I get in your face, like a drill sergeant, like if you see, like, I, I used, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but I like, I like love Navy SEAL stuff. If I was American, I probably would have tried to be a Navy SEAL. Right? I don't know how far I would have made it, but hopefully... That would have been awesome, right? It would have been amazing. But I, I get, it's so intense. They're in basic training, and they have this, this drill sergeant in their face just yelling at them all the time, giving them the option to quit. Just reminding them, hey, you can quit right now. This can all be over. How many of us perform, perform well and grow well under those circumstances? <laughs> really none of us. Right? I understand why they're doing it that way because the realities of a Navy SEAL, the kind of stuff you have to do, is you can't just be like in the middle of some bay in the middle of nowhere and two in the morning, water's cold, and be like, guys, I just want to go home. They're trying to, they're trying to sift out the people that are just going to quit in that moment. Right? I understand that. But the atmosphere of the church is supposed to be that of belonging. That of you, you, you belong even before you perform. And it's in that atmosphere that you grow. When that atmosphere is healthy. That even wasn't really on my notes, so that one's free as well. Everything must go. This Brian crazy sale. Everything's everything's free today. I was listening to this podcast the other day, and this this, uh, pastor, he's from a church that's really well known down in, in California, and they've had a huge impact in the young adults uh, kind of generation young adult culture, and it's just, it's just the churches are swarming with young adults. It's probably a church of like 10,000 and really impactful church. And, and uh, this guy on the podcast was interviewing this pastor and asked him, like, what is it that you guys are doing that is like, you know, that's really grabbing a hold of the young generation? And this, if, you know, this church is just really well known for like signs and wonders, supernatural stuff, miracles, and like all this stuff. But it was, I was so blown away by the response that this pastor gave. You think he would have been like, oh, it's the signs and wonders, man. You know, it's just the prophetic words. It's the, the healings. It's those that, that brings a young generation in. And he said, right away, without skipping a beat, he said, mothers and fathers. He said, they come for the signs and wonders, but they stay for the mothers and fathers. I was just like, I had to take a moment. I just hit pause. I'm like, that's, I don't think we realize how profound that is. And that's the atmosphere the church is supposed to be. So we have three things that if we're going to set that atmosphere within the church, there's three things that we need to do, and they're going to be up there. There's, I think, the next slide. We need to have a, revolu- a revolution against institutionalization. Anybody else just want to say, Brian, just... What, what, what did you just say? That's kind of a fun sentence, isn't it? Revolution against institutionalization. Try to say that like five times fast. See, uh, but I, I want to explain it this way. Notice I didn't say against the institution. Because you, you say the word institution in today's culture, and it's immediately like this. It's like, it's like the death of a, of a company. It's the death of an organization. If you call it an institution, it's like, oh, it's over. Right? But... This guy named Ray Ortland, he said it this way, an institution is a social mechanism for making a desirable experience easily repeatable. An institution is where life-giving human activities can be nurtured and protected and, and sustained. Institu- but here's, here's the problem. It's not the institution that's the problem. It's the institutionalization that's a problem, where it makes a method more important than the goal. It makes the means more important than the end. So what does that look like? Well, we do church a certain way because this is why we always did church. We have three songs. One of them has to be a hymn. 
preferably, preferably by one of the Wesley brothers. <laughs> then we do our offering, and then we do this, and then we do that, and then we move on. We've had church. When actually, we need to remember why we do those things. Yeah. We do those things. And it's not necessarily about the style. I'm not going to put emphasis on that. But we do these things because the church exists for God. The church exists to bring praise and honor to God. And then out of that bringing praise and honor to God, we transform the lives of people around us by His grace and by the power of His Spirit. Thanks, Mike. I'm glad you're sitting right here. This is so good. But see, we can let traditions get in the way, don't we? We don't like new things because they're new, right? It kind of pokes against our sense of safety, and we want it to be, we want to expect, we want to know what's coming. But this walk of faith and this Christian life is actually meant to be what was exampled through Peter's life, where he says, Jesus, if it's you calling me, I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He's like, to know God is to change. (laughs) Real encouraging word, Brian. Thanks. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable. The only question is, what is bringing you comfort? Is it the Holy Spirit that's bringing you comfort, or is it just... You getting what you want. And so if we're going to see a generation reconciled, we, maybe as an older generation who's been around for a while, might have to sacrifice some things. Might have to sacrifice our own comfort. Might have to sacrifice. Sometimes we can think, oh, well, you're, you're messing with the message then. If you change the method, you're messing with the message. No, we're not. We're just changing how we get there. The important thing is that we're getting there. It's not necessarily how we get there. It's just that we're getting there. And I want, to read, I want to read this verse to you in Matthew chapter 15. It'll be up on the screen here for you. I better catch up with my notes here. Getting ahead of myself. Then some Pharisees and scribes, this is Matthew chapter 15, verse, verses 1 to 9. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the, the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father and mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his mother or father. And by this you invalidate, check this out, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. You can't say amen, just say ouch. You need to understand, I'm 33 years old. Okay? This is already trying to wreak havoc in my life. The sense of, like, God, I think it should be this way. Instead of asking the question, God, what are you doing in this generation? How can I be a part of it? What are you, what are you wanting to do to reach this generation? How can I be a part of it? I'm thinking, well, I, shouldn't, I think it should be this way because I like it this way. I prefer it this way. So at first point, we need to have a revolution against institutionalization where we get back to the main thing being the main thing. We get so bent out of shape about some of the littlest things, like, oh, the chairs, I don't, they're not, I don't know, they're just like, the chairs, and I don't know, the walls, the painting, and all this stuff, I don't, can it be this color, can it be, it's like, are we making disciples? Are we reaching people? always count on Charlie. He's always shouting me down. I think maybe that's more important. Like, I'm willing, I'm willing to talk about chairs and talking about painting and 
and atmosphere and stuff like that if the church is doing what the church is supposed to do. If we're, if we're, if we're reaching people, making disciples of all nations, then if that, we can check that box, then I'm good to talk about some other things. But I'm not willing to make the little things the big things and sacrifice the one, the one of the main commandments that Jesus gave his church and go to all nations and make disciples. It's the mandate of the church. So point two, we need to have an invitation to participation to a younger generation. How's that for alliteration? <laughs> right? I want to say this, where the Holy Spirit doesn't have an age limit or an age minimum. Preaching to somebody. You know, I'll never forget this. This happened recently. One of our boys, they got a, oh, what's it called? They got a drone. They got a drone for Christmas. And we, where we live, we, we live on a parcel of land that's uh, it's pretty big. Blueberry fields. Thanks, Charlie. Keeping me on top of things here. Right? And they were playing with the drone, and it just, something happened in the connection. It just took off and just went out into the blueberry fields. Well, one of my boys, instead of getting frustrated, and, and I'm sure he felt frustrated, but instead of getting mad and just, you know, just walking away, he has like, Lord, where's, where's the drone? And I don't know, what, it, what did he say? It was like, yeah, like, go, yeah, go row three, 51 steps. That's what he heard. Like, me, I'd just be like, oh, I'm so mad. I'm not even, like, I wouldn't even, like, it's just, I was so convicting. I was just like, he stopped and prayed in that moment? I'd be just so mad. Anyways, row three, 51 steps. Well, somebody got their drone back. It's because we're not perfect. I'm not trying to say that we are, but we've, we've been trying to communicate to our kids that you can hear God, that, that you can have a relationship with God, that God can speak to you. That you actually have gifts, callings, and ministries that God's wanting to birth in you and release out of you to benefit the people around you. That you're, you're part of the body. You may not be as old as some other parts, but you're part of the body. You have something to contribute. And so if we're going to be moms and dads in the church, we need to be allowing the voice of a younger generation to speak into our ear and maybe say, hey, you keep doing things this way, you're not going to reach my generation. I'll never forget, at our church, at Hill City Church, we had a man named Jim Anderson come in and say that very thing. And it was a wake-up call to our leadership to be like, we can either hold on to the way that we've always done things and keep comfortable and just do what's good for us and what we really like and have a nice little service and lose a generation, or we can begin to think differently, begin to talk differently, begin to set an atmosphere that invites a younger generation into it to empower them in their gifts, callings, and ministries. And we can see our city change. We can see our generation change. And God's been faithful to do that. Been faithful to do that in our church. Been faithful to do that in our community. But see, as we were talking about before in Malachi chapter 4, what, what is the process? It's the hearts of the fathers turning to the sons. Or could, could I be safe to say the hearts of the fathers and mothers turning to the sons and daughters? There's an invitation. And not only that, I don't want to just say an invitation. I want to say an expectation. You know, Paul wasn't afraid to say to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, say, hey, listen to me, young man, man of God. Listen to me. Don't let anybody look down on your youth. Don't let anybody tell you you're too young who believe in your speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. He wasn't afraid to say, hey, listen, you're not too young. You're not too young. Hold on a second. You're not too young. Some of you, you know what that's like to hear that. Because I heard, I heard that in my life. You're too young. You're too young to be doing this, Brian. You're too young to step out into ministry full time. You're too young. You have too many kids. You have all this stuff. Isn't it crazy? I don't know when the line is, but have you ever felt this way? It's just like, you're too young. You're too young. You're too young. You're too young. You go to sleep one night. You wake up the next day, and all of a sudden, the lie is like, it's shifted. Now you're too old. <laughs> have you ever felt that? I felt that. Because we need to understand something. In our culture, we've so 
separated and compartmentalized generations that it was never meant to be this way. It was never meant to be this way. That whether you got gray hair or no hair, you have a place to speak into the lives of young people. And it's just like, we got a young generation and they're there. I was thinking about this and I didn't know how to incorporate it, but you got to understand Samuel, the, the prophet Samuel, he was a young man. He was serving Eli. And God started to speak to him. And Eli had some stuff. Anybody else under, can kind of witness with Eli? Maybe got some failures, some shortcomings in your life? Can we just be honest? Okay, we've got a couple of people being honest this morning. It's all right. You can come up for prayer later. Okay. But check this out. In a very dark time, okay, it even says that, that around Samuel's time, there was like prophetic understanding and prophetic visions and stuff was very sparse. It was very few and far between. But God starts speaking to a young man, starts calling him by name. And he goes to an older generation and, and thinking that it's, you're calling me, right? And Eli, you know, being woken up in the middle of the night, I can imagine like, I wouldn't be all that spiritual either, all right? So we can maybe just lighten up on Eli a little bit. He's like, dude, I didn't call you. Go back. I, like, I guess, some, you ever, parents, you know what it's like. You wake up and you look and your kid's face is just like staring right at you. It's like they woke you up with their stare. I don't even know how it works, right? But their face is right there. I can imagine Eli, if I, you know, just like I probably would, be like, dude, didn't call you. Is the house on fire? No. Is like somebody hurt or is somebody dying? No. Okay, go back to bed. And this happens a couple times and finally it clicks with Eli. He's like, wait a second. Okay, next time you hear that voice, I want you to say, speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. That older generation taught the younger generation how to respond to the call of God. So here... It's what I want to say. The wisdom of an older generation is meant to be a conduit in which the zeal and and passion of a young generation can flow through so we can be effective. Come on. That's good. All right, Lord. I got more content content than I probably do time, but Man, I'll just never forget like like I said I'm 33. And I, I, came, I came to Christ, like I had a pretty radical conversion, but then again, like the, the theological side of me and the doctrinal side of me goes, well, every conversion is radical, Brian. So, so um, whether you were born in the church or not, your conversion is radical. <laughs> so, um, but I came to Christ and it's just like, I'm a pretty intense individual. I don't know if you've caught that, but um, I'm pretty intense. And I had, I was really passionate about sin. Before I came to Jesus, like I was all in. So like that made its way through the cross. And so I come and I, now I'm all in for Jesus. And it's like, I just want Jesus. And this is, but I had some stuff in my life. I had some shortcomings. I had some, and probably still do, let's just be honest. But I had some. <laughs> Charlie, you probably could do the altar call, man. We'd all respond for a little Charlie. I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, okay. So I had some stuff. I was all in for Jesus. I had some stuff. I had some areas in my life because blind spots are called blind spots, not because you see them, right? Right? And I started to get to this place where it's like, man, nobody notices my prophetic gifting. It's probably because I reeked of pride, but Maybe. But I had some areas in my life that God wanted to start to sharpen and start to rub off. And it was because an older generation, like I go, I go, like I think about the men that I have that I can honestly say are spiritual dads in our church. I can go to with anything. I could talk with anything about. I could go talk to them about anything at any time. They they were willing to sacrifice for me because they saw a destiny and purpose. And a young man who had a calling, which every young person does. And they were willing to get out of their comfort zone and maybe embrace some things that they don't understand, not compromise truth, not compromise um, the standard which God has. But they were willing to get out of their comfort zone and embrace a young man. And I'm standing here today on top of their shoulders. 
were launching out into this ministry to see a generation established in the truth of God's design for sexuality, the hope of restoration, and to be empowered in their destiny because an older generation was willing to get behind us and say, I believe in you. And point three, we need to have an atmosphere in the church, an atmosphere of adoption where where everyone has a place to come home to. In Luke, in Luke chapter 15, maybe, I don't know if you're familiar with the story, and maybe the worship team, if you want to come up. And he said, this is Jesus speaking, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, because sin only lasts for a season, right? Sin's only fun for a season. Eventually, it runs dry. Eventually, he began to be impoverished. So he went out and he hired himself to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was was giving anything to him. But when he, check this out, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father, see, he doesn't even let him get through it. It says, but the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put put on his hand, excuse me, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to celebrate. I find it so amazing that in the midst of a dark time in this young man's life, and if we could think about it this way, in the midst of a dark time in a generation's life where there's sexual confusion, where there's sexual immorality, where there's perversion all over the place, where there's lies being accepted on a daily basis that are destroying the lives of young people. In that dark moment, a young man remembered what it was like in the atmosphere of his home. He remembered what it was like to be a son. He remembered what it was like he remembered what his father was like. He remembered how, how he provided for him, how gracious he was to him. And it was that atmosphere that caused him to come out of that dark place and say, I'm going home. I feel like I want to say to some of you, there's maybe, maybe you have sons and daughters that they're in a dark time right now. I want you to remember, I want you to know that the Lord sees them. The Lord knows them. And his hand is not too short to touch their lives. But what he's looking for from you, you know, which is I find so amazing, is his father, his father is obviously outside. And it says that he's looking down the road. And it's while he was a long way off, he ran to him. He ran to him. And you got to understand how crazy this is. In that generation, that time, in that culture, to run is like completely undignified. But the father didn't care. He was looking for his son. I can imagine every day he was looking for his son. Come on, moms and dads, are you looking for the generation? Are you looking down the road? Are you, are you being open? Are you being transparent and vulnerable before God and say, God, give us a generation? Give us this young generation, God. We want them. You died for them to redeem them, to restore them, to give them a hope and a purpose again. It says he ran and he fell and just embraced him. You can imagine this young man was filled with some interesting smells where he'd been. I think the atmosphere of the church is supposed to be like that, where we smell all kinds of smells. 
where we embrace people and we believe that an atmosphere of health, an atmosphere of family, people are healed and restored and empowered and brought to life from the dead. Can you stand to your feet with me here this morning? Man, I, just, I just feel just to take a moment and if we can, just as a, as, a, as a body here this morning, can we just pray that God, we're going to pray a dangerous prayer, okay? Pray a dangerous prayer. God, do in me, I want you to repeat it, do in me what you want to do in me so we can see a generation saved. Do in me, Lord, what you want to do in me so we can see a generation saved. I'm going to say this. Maybe some things are going to have to change here at Life Church. Maybe some things aren't going to be the same anymore. Maybe some things are going to have to die so there can be new life again. You even think that the leaves that fall off of a tree become the fertilizer for new life to grow. Some of the things we have to let die. What are things that we're holding on to in our heart, holding on to our lives that we think are so important, but at the end of the day, they're just dead leaves. They need need to fall off. So why don't you just bow your head with me. Father, here this morning, we thank you, God, for what you're doing here at Life Church. God, for what you're doing in your church, that we're part of something bigger. God, thank you that you're wanting to birth in your church an atmosphere of family an atmosphere of belonging, an atmosphere of discipleship, where we have that invitation to participation in the callings and the moving of your spirit. God, thank you for what you're doing here. And I just pray a blessing over every person here that God, that they would go from this place here today being an answer to the problem and not part of it. That they would open up their heart again to a generation. They, would, they wouldn't be willing to partner with so many of the lies that, that wants to throw down millennials and wants to stomp on millennial ideas, but they would be willing to embrace them and invite them into their lives and be willing to step into their lives to connect to their heart, to build a bridge, Lord, for you to walk across. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.